Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it will encourage you. It will inspire you. It will help you make Jesus famous in every area of your life. You know, as we settle into 2023, get our new routines and go through this year, there's something so important that you must have this year. It's not, it's not saying, well, maybe or I might need to know. You must have this in 2023. And so just a few moments, I'm going to share what you must have in 2023. And I want to encourage you to stay connected with us. Our website is FCCGA.com. And this message streams, of course, on our YouTube channels, our Faith Plus app. It's available as well on our podcast as well. And we do a daily devotional podcast to help you start your day with faith and encouragement. It's called Faith in the Morning with Carrick Butler. So however you're streaming this, I encourage you to subscribe, download our Faith Plus app so you can be encouraged to live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. Now, here's this message about what you must have in 2023. I want to emphasize the importance of what we're covering today. You must have this in 2023. So, come and say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say, I must have this in 2023. Say it again. Say, I must have this in 2023. So, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And to show you the importance of this, Paul asked multiple churches to pray about it. Now, it would be one thing if Paul talked about it once. But if he taught, told multiple churches to pray about this, this must be important. Now, one of the things we understand about the letter of the Ephesians, the main church, the church at Ephesus was the main church in the region. Paul spent a long time there. We talked about how epic of a church that was and how it grew to be the mega church of the day. It was eventually pastored by Timothy, and some of the members were the Apostle John and Mary, the mother of Jesus. That sounds epic already. It produced different churches from it. It was an epic church. Even if it was just because Mary went to that church, you already knew it was epic. Pastor Kirk, could you imagine trying to cover the Christmas story and Mary sitting in the front row? <laughs> He's like, you know what? I'm not covering the story today. We have a special guest speaker. Mother Mary, will you come and share with us today? So that is an epic church. So Paul is writing to this church with this request. But one thing about the letter to the Ephesians, when he said the history of that letter, that letter was also meant to be a circular letter. So once they finished it, there's a post to pass it on to all the churches of the region. So when Paul is asking the church at Ephesus to pray, he's not just talking to that church, but also the other churches that are in the region of Ephesus. And so we look at verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit. Another translation, with all types of prayer. There are different types of prayer just like the different types of sports. How many know you can't play football by basketball rules? You can't play soccer by hockey rules. There are different types of sports with different types of rules. There are different types of prayer that all have different types of rules. And so he's saying, praying with all types of prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So yes, pray with all types of prayer, pray continually, pray for every single believer and for me. Now, you got to think, if it, you might think, well, if Vernon doesn't need prayer, Paul doesn't need prayer, because Paul's a champ. But multiple times, throughout all his letters, Paul said, pray for this brother right here. And so notice what he, his specific request here in Ephesians 6, 18 to pray for. That utterance may be given to me. So Paul asked this church at Ephesus and all the churches that will read this letter to pray that he would receive utterance. Say utterance. And notice what he wanted to do with this utterance. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. How many know if it's a mystery, it's not clear? He goes on and says, For which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak it. 
So not only do I want to make it clear, but I want to say, proclaim with a boldness that is appropriate to this mystery. But it's all connected to his prayer request for utterance. Say utterance. Go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Now, as I've talked to you guys before, Ephesians and Colossians are twin letters. Paul wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and the letter to Philemon at the same time. He wrote the letter of Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians at the same time and sent it to be delivered by the same messenger. And so when you read those three letters together, it explains a lot of things that might be a little bit quick in one letter, but it's more explanation than another. So if you really want to understand all the things that are covered in Ephesians, you should also read Colossians and the letter to Philemon as well. And so notice what he said about this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue in prayer, watching the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. So here he calls it a door of utterance. Why? So that he can speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. The Amplified Classic Edition of verse 4 says it this way, that I may proclaim it fully and make it clear. Speak boldly and unfold that mystery as is my duty. So notice I want to make it clear and I want to unfold it. So in the letter to Ephesians, he calls it utterance. In Colossians, he calls it a door of utterance. But the whole purpose is that he may proclaim it, make it clear, and we see even here, unfold it. Say unfold it. Now, what is the benefits of unfolding of the mystery or unfolding of the word of God? The unfolding that comes from utterance. Psalm 119, verse 130. So go with me, Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding. Why is Paul telling these churches to pray that they have the unfolding? Psalm 119, verse 130. Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It gives instruction or understanding to the simple or the unlearned or the untaught. The unfolding of his words gives light. I remember in 2020 that I was walking around my house getting ready, I was just doing something, and this scripture rose up in my spirit. The entrance of your word or the unfolding of your word gives light, so I'm innovative and I always know what to do. It popped out from my heart, out of my mouth. I said, well, I'm going to say that on a regular basis. The entrance, the unfolding of God's word gives me light, so I'm innovative and I always know what to do. And so I set my faith for the unfolding of his word so that anytime I sit under the word, I become innovative. I get light. I get understanding. I can't tell you how many times where I've made it a a, a priority to sit under the word and God starts talking to me about things that the man or woman of God is not even preaching about. That I'm hearing their message, but it's also talking about other things. There's a time I remember one certain meeting years ago that I don't know what the man of God was preaching. I'm sure it was good. I'm sure I listened to it later because the whole time the Holy Ghost was talking to me about things he was about to do in my family in the future. And it all came to pass. But why was that unfolding or that light given to me it's because I positioned myself to receive the utterance of God. I positioned myself to receive the utterance of God. And in 2023, you need the utterance of God. In 2023, you must have the utterance of God. 
Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's look at more how important this utterance is. We see that Paul prayed that he would have that utterance, that from that utterance he might proclaim it boldly, make it clear, and unfold it. Notice what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Starting with verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and may be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Now, why would he tell them to pray that way? Let's go look at a couple more verses and we'll break it down. First, let's look at this from the Amplified Classic Edition. It says, furthermore, brethren, do pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed on, spread rapidly, and run its course, and be glorified, extolled, and triumph, even as is done with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse, improper, unrighteous, and wicked, actively malicious men, for not everybody has faith and is held by it. So he's praying for the word, that utterance, to go forward, or for a wide door of utterance to be opened, and that they would be delivered from the enemies. Now, why were the enemies to be there? To stop the utterance. Let's look at a few more verses. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Because the concept of utterance and doors, or doors of utterance, or doors in the Spirit, was very important to the Apostle Paul's ministry. Yes, he was a strategist. Yes, he had plans. Yes, he worked hard by the grace of God within him and upon him. But he also was a big believer in utterance and doors of utterance and doors of the Spirit. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. He said, I got there to preach, and I realized God opened a door. And the next verse said, I couldn't stay there long, and so I, some translators said, you know, I bid them farewell, or I left my peace with them. The phrase in the Greek means, I gave them some parting instructions. Why? Every time that door Paul was talking about was open, there was utterance that flowed, instructions that flowed, understanding that flowed, enlightenment that flowed, because of the door of utterance, because of the utterance. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. Now, the thing is, if Paul is talking about utterance so much and asking so many churches to pray that he have utterance, that means the utterance is not just dependent on the preacher or the preacher's prayer life or the preacher's study. Yes, preachers should pray. I know I have a number of people who are being trained in ministry right now. You need to have a prayer life. Don't preach without a prayer life. Have a prayer life and preach. Have a study life. But it's not just dependent on the preacher if the utterance comes forth. Because if it was, Paul would have asked all these churches to pray. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When you look in context, he's talking about, he's writing this letter, he's in Ephesus. And when you read the book of Acts, you see what a great and effective door looks like. Because Paul stayed there for multiple years, and it says after he spent weeks in the synagogue converting many people, that they moved to the school of Tyrannus, and during the middle of the day, he taught daily at that school. 
Now, they're talking about door of utterance, and now there's a door that's suddenly open for them to teach in this wide area where thousands of people could come to hear. Every single day. And Paul was not a short-winded preacher. There's a story in the book of Acts of him. He's like, I got this one day, so I'm going. And so he preached all night long. He preached so long that there was a guy sitting in the window. Now, he probably doesn't always sit there, but he's trying to sit there, get some fresh air, and stay awake. He's like, I can't be the one who falls asleep on Paul. Could you imagine if you were the one who fell asleep on Paul? You might appear in the Bible, and so-and-so fell asleep while I was preaching. <laughs> so imagine. So he's trying to stay awake. And all of a sudden, he falls asleep, and this brother is so knocked out, he falls out the window. And it says he hit the ground and died. What did Paul do? He paused preaching, went downstairs, raised the dude from the dead, and kept on preaching. He didn't dismiss the meeting. So now that I got your attention again, let's, let's pick up where I left off. And so imagine what those meetings were like when he's preaching every single day. And then it says, at that time, special miracles were done by the hands of Paul. So that cloths were brought to him and healing power went from Paul into those cloths and anybody who touched those cloths were healed and delivered. It was transforming the region to such a point that there were some warlocks and magicians in the area who were known for trying to use, one of the things I've been saying about the city of Ephesus, it was a city deep into witchcraft. Not just in the worship of false gods, but deep into witchcraft and all the things that they did. It was a very deep practice there in that city. And so there were some warlocks who were known for trying to um, be, for lack of better terms, they're trying to cast out demons. They tried. They would, you know, put all these, read all these names over you. And they had observed Paul being able to cast out demons every day at the school. They watched. They saw it happen. They saw how he would do it in the name of Jesus. So they thought, this is a new magic word for us. Let's do the same thing. And so they go into this house, and the way it's portrayed in the Greek, it wasn't just any house, it was that house. The house everybody knew about, the house that everybody knew, the violent man stays there, avoid that house. But they thought they had a new magic word. So seven of them went. It says they were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest. It doesn't mean he was a high priest of the Jewish religion. He was of Jewish race, and he was probably a false high priest of one of the gods or goddess in that city. And the word Sceva is not even a Jewish name. It describes the type of character that man had. Let's just say there was a lack of character on his part. And so his seven sons go to that house, that violent house where this possessed man was. And so they began to do their enchantments and all these different things. And they said, we adjure you by, in the name of Jesus, by who Paul preaches. And that possessed man went, I know Jesus. I'm intimately acquainted with him. That's what that word means in the Greek. He probably remembered, I remember when Jesus descended to hell and kicked all of our tails. Because in the scripture says he threw all principalities in power. He made a shore of them openly. He says, I remember that, it still stings. And it says, I know Paul. That word I know there means I've recently become acquainted with Paul. I'm watching him, we know who he is now. We've been watching what he's doing. He's got our attention. But then he said, who is you? I don't know you. I know Jesus. I know Paul. I don't know you. And it says that man leaped on all seven on them 
beat all seven men down, took all their clothes, beat them so bad they ran out that house bleeding. So you know, they screaming. Cause you know, the whole neighborhood is paying attention now. Cause everybody saw people go into that violent man's house. And not too long after they hear all these noises and they see seven men running out bleeding and naked screaming. How many know that got the whole neighborhood's attention? It said it began to spread throughout the city, and the result was there was great reverence put on the name of Jesus. But something about that utterance, that door that was open, there's many adversaries. Because what happened is the name of Jesus, the gospel, spread from Ephesus throughout that whole region, which is part of modern-day Turkey, from that one door in Ephesus. But that door not only spread throughout a region, not only that utterance was connected to miracles, that utterance got Satan's attention. Because as Paul preached, demons fell. Not only were demons cast out, but it talks about how that whole area was revived. And as a result, they had a bonfire where they burned books of magic. It was a sign of their repentance. Say, hey, we're not doing witchcraft anymore. We're not playing with that anymore. And they brought in and talked about how expensive all those books were that they burned. Satan lost territory. Paul was on Satan's radar. He was before, but after that, he was. It's the utterance. Say the utterance. But as the utterance came forth, there were many adversaries because they're like, we can't let this continue. And one of the adversaries was one of the people who made, who was the chief craftsman of the silver shrines for the local goddess and god of that area. And it says, this Paul has disrupted our practice. And if he continues, nobody will worship this God anymore. Now that is confidence of a heathen. Saying if Paul keeps going, nobody in this city will follow. Everybody is worshiping this Jesus. Now why was this chief craftsman bothered? Because he made all his money from people coming to worship this goddess. So that means all the money left the heathen and went into the hands of the people of God. The economy shifted because of utterance. And then the people who were really disturbed by it, because remember, they heard the message. They just didn't believe it. They said, no, we don't want that. But they heard it. Because says that whole region heard the message. They heard it and said, we don't want that. And so they began to stir up a riot. They go through the streets and they're looking for Paul's friends. Because they're trying to find Paul, they can't find him, so they grab a few of his friends. And so they fill, thousands of them fill this arena, chanting, shouting praise to the false god. And Paul heard, you know, he heard about the disturbance because it's loud, the whole city's erupting. Of course he heard about it. And so Paul being Paul said, well, let me go inside and talk to them. And all the disciples said, no, you don't. The disciples stopped Paul from going to the room. And then some of the chief leaders of the city who weren't even believers, but who were, had grown in respect and fondness for what Paul was doing in the city, said, look, you ain't going in there. And we see the enemy trying to disrupt what Jesus wanted to be done. But it all came because of a door of utterance. And this church kept going for decades. So even when Jesus had to correct them in the book of Revelation, he had multiple good things to say about them first. It all came from utterance or a door of utterance, a door of utterance that released miracles, 
A door of utterance that shifted an economy. A door of utterance that caused a church to be so strong and established it became the biggest church of its day. The leader of its day. To where they were so sticklers for what the word says, Jesus complimented them and says, you know the truth between true and real apostles and fake ones. So y'all developed your own test. And Jesus said, good job. It came from utterance. You need the utterance of God in 2023. Let's go a little bit further. Utterance is more than just mere words. And we see the emphasis Paul placed upon it. And so one of the things when you pray for utterance, that you pray for ministry gifts to have utterance, you also pray for them to be delivered from the attacks of the enemy. Because the enemy will do whatever he can to shut them up because he doesn't want them opening their mouth. I remember a number of years ago, I think it was my early 10 years, that when I would get sick, I would lose my voice. It would just happen. That didn't seem like it'd be connected, but all of a sudden I wouldn't be able to talk. And then my, after this happened a couple of times, my mom realized, I said, hey, you're called to preach. You have to use your authority and fight this because Satan is trying to shut you up. I realized that. And I know this happened not too long after I had received my call to follow after God and preach. And so anytime something tried to come on my body from then on, I said, no, I ain't doing that. I don't receive that. Because I realize, because the thing is, you can say, oh, that's just part of life. People lose their voice time and time again. But if what I'm supposed to do is proclaim what he said, I can't put up with that. So I do the natural things. That's why you guys always see me with a cup of tea with honey. Why? I got to preach. That's why I do the natural things. I don't always eat certain things or drink certain things at certain times. Why? Because I want to be able to deliver the message. So there are natural things I do and spiritual things I do because I know the importance of utterance. And it's not always just what's proclaimed from the mouth of the man or woman of God, but it's also when people position themselves to hear from God, God will talk to their hearts about things. That I know there are times people say, oh yeah, you said this in the message. I'm like, I said that? I look back, oh, I did say that. They said, what did you say again? I said, I don't know, let me think. Or other times, I, that did not come out of my mouth. That was the Holy Ghost talking to your heart. But it was what they needed. It was the utterance of God. And a lot of times people pray for answers because you can receive from one of the primary ways God speaks to his believers outside of reading the word and the inner voice of the Holy Ghost on the inside of them speaking to their spirit is through the ministry gift of their pastor. And some people don't have answers so they don't show up. Quiet on that note. Don't show up in person or online. You say, oh God, I want you to speak to me. He said, I gave the answer. You just didn't stream it. And it's not like it was not made available before you could hear it at any time. It's the utterance. How many answers have you missed because we haven't tuned in to get the utterance of God? Oh God, I need you to answer my, I'm praying. I need to know what to do. I'm praying for wisdom. You said, if I pray for wisdom and faith, I believe I receive, where is it? Well, go to church. It is the utterance of God. There are a number of things you can get as an individual believer or that you can get as your family stands in faith. But are there are a number of things that happen when the believers come together. And part of it is this type of utterance that changed everything in the city of Ephesus. So you must have the utterance of God in your life in 2023. You must pray that God grants his ministry gifts a wide door of utterance 
that they're able to unfold the mystery, that they can make it clear, and that they'll be delivered from any attempt to stop them from giving that utterance. Now go with me to Acts chapter 2. I still want to show you how important this utterance. Most of you get how important it is, but there's even more. Why? Because think about this. When the first 120 were baptized in the Holy Ghost, what was the, one of the first things God gave them? Acts chapter 2, look what it says. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them what? How important is utterance? Is one of the first things they received after being baptized in the Holy Ghost was utterance. Ain't no one that's utterance went out. And so they're all speaking in the utterance of the Holy Ghost. It said all those around them heard in their own language the goodness of God, the testimonies of God. Now, it did not say that those 120 spoke all those languages. It said they heard it. When the utterance of God was released, it caused thousands around to hear what they needed to hear. So they began to talk and I said, hey, how do I hear it in Arabic? How do you hear it in Greek? How do you hear it in this? They're going, how are we hearing different things? The utterance of God. Say, I must have the utterance of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So we talked about the utterance needed in the collective assembly, but when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you're filled with the Holy Ghost, he does give you a prayer language that has utterance for your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 14, verse 2. I remember hearing Oral Roberts testify that one of the ways he built his university was by praying in the Holy Ghost and interpreting it back to himself. And that's how he got the instruction of what to do, what to build, and where to go. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. How be in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Look at that word mystery again. The divine secret plans, purposes. But he who prophesies speaks edification or the building up and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies and builds himself up. But he who prophesies edifies and builds up the church. And so when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, when you're speaking in another tongue, you are building yourself up, but you are tapping into the utterance of God. A number of times you are praying out mysteries, divine secrets, plans, and purposes. But 1 Corinthians 14 also says there are times when you're praying this way, you're praying out the goodness of God, the blessings of God. You're praising God in another tongue. You know, David said, if I had 10,000 tongues, I couldn't praise you enough. Well, what is my solution to that? Well, praise him the Holy Ghost. Because Paul said, when you bless in the Spirit, you bless well. And so we really could all gather around our food and before a good meal and pray over it in tongues and thank God for it in tongues, and Paul said, you did a good job. But he said, if there are other people in the room who have no idea what you're talking about, just pray in English, just pray in your understanding. And so this utterance that's been given to you is not just for when you feel excited or for when you want to shout or dance or for some of you say, well, I didn't want to cuss, so I spoke in tongues. <laughs> that's good, but that's not only what it's for. Because when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, you're tapping into mysteries, divine secrets, plans, and purposes. We see in 1 Corinthians 2 how it says, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, has entered to the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. In the Old Testament, God says, for those who wait on him. 
And people say, oh, it's not wonderful. Well, not wonderful if you never see it, hear it, or access it. But the next verse says, he reveals those things to us by his spirit. And you keep going down, you get to verse 13, and the spirit speaks to us in his own words. Well, what are the words of the spirit? Tongues and the utterance of God. And so one of the best way to pray for utterance, now one of the ways I pray this on a, on a regular basis, I pray for our experiences and for other ministry gifts I pray for. I pray, God, I ask that you open to us a wide door of utterance, that we may speak forth the mystery of the gospel, bold as you are, that we may decree and declare what thus saith the Holy Ghost, that none of our words will fall to the ground, but the word of the Lord runs swiftly, expand influence, be glorified, and triumph. This is what I pray on a regular basis. And when I pray for as of here, as, as a result, pray that people be saved, rededicated, filled with the Holy Ghost, healed, delivered, set free, rooted, grounded, built up, established in the Word, nourished in the words of faith, that we'll receive revelation, direction, information, breakthrough, healing, deliverance in our lives, that souls will be restored, that broken hearts, families, relationships, marriages will be healed, men and made whole. And I said, I pray that you, add, as a result, that you add unto faith such as should be saved, and to the body of Christ such as should be saved, that you multiply faith in the church of all those coming into the kingdom of God. That whole prayer is based on a prayer for utterance. But after you pray that way, that is good, a daily way to pray in your understanding every day. But also, what do you pray? You pray in the Holy Ghost for utterance. Now, one of the things the Holy Ghost has required me to do, I'm not saying for you, for me to do on Sundays, is that I wake up even earlier and says, I want you to pray in tongues an hour before you even write your message. So that's what I do. Before I pray for anything else, my focus is not just praying tongues in general. Or praying tongues for somebody else. Praying tongues concerning the message for an hour. And then I start putting notes together. Even if I put the notes the day before, I still wake up in the morning and pray an hour in tongues. Why? I'm connecting to the utterance. That's what he requires me to do. Now, he'll talk to you about what you need to do to pray concerning utterance. Because utterance is a big deal. And you need the utterance of God in 2023. Because whether it comes to the subject matter or the topic matter or, you know, those rabbit trails. Now, you've heard speakers say before, I've said, before, I said, I don't even know why I'm talking about this, but this is what somebody needed. It's the utterance of God. Someone prayed it out. Someone laid hold to it. And so whether it comes out of the man or woman of God's mouth or God talks to it in your heart, you pray for utterance, but you also need to position yourself to receive the utterance. It's like if you're, you know, having food delivered to your house. You don't go to someone else's house and wait for it. If you ask for it to be delivered, you show up at your house so that you can get your food. So not only do you pray for utterance, you have to position yourself to receive that utterance. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. Let's talk more about this utterance. So it's the preaching and teaching of the word. It's the Holy Ghost speaking to our heart. The importance of praying in our heavenly language on a daily basis, building ourselves up, tapping into the mysteries of God. But also I want to see 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, or another way to say that we all are become better. We're all uplifted. We all grow together because of the manifestation of the Spirit. For to one is given the word of wisdom to, through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge. And we talked about that was one of the things we experienced earlier. Through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. We experienced that earlier. earlier. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. What is prophecy? It is a supernatural message in a known language. 
Prophecy is a supernatural message in a known language. Prophecy is not always telling the future. It's not. It's a supernatural message in a known language. It's a message that encourages, builds up, comfort, and exhorts. Now, and just because you prophesy does not make you a prophet. Because Paul said, I, I desire that all of you prophesy. Did he say he want the whole church to be prophets? No. He said, I want the whole church to prophesy. I want the whole church to be able to tap into the Holy Ghost and speak supernatural messages to each other and others that encourages, that builds up, and comforts. Now, I'm not knocking prophets because I know real prophets, real ones. Not fake ones, real ones. They got my phone number. I know them. They know me. Real ones. No fake ones. We don't mess with the fake ones, nor the false ones. Because just because you call yourself a prophet doesn't make you a prophet. You can call yourself something, but it doesn't make you it. So I'm not knocking prophets. I know real ones, and I believe in the prophetic ministry of God. But just because you prophesy, it does not make you a prophet. Because God desires that every believer prophesies. And not all prophecy talks about the future, but is a supernatural message from God that encourages, builds up, and comforts. Every believer can prophesy. Sometimes you'll see that prophecy come out in your own prayer time with God. Other time will be your encourage other believers, that you're giving your testimony to others, encouraging others, and all of a sudden something comes in your heart and you're just encouraging them about their life. Stuff you didn't know about. It's not always about the future. It's a supernatural message from God that encourages, builds up, and comforts. And that is part of the utterance of God. That when you make room for the utterance of God being delivered, there's an utterance gift. One of them is the gift of prophecy. Let's go a little bit further. To another, discerning of spirits, not the gift of discernment. It's like, oh, I had a suspicion. you just suspicious and nosy. <laughs> discerning means to see in to the spirit world. Some people are just nosy and suspicious and paranoid. Another message. To another, different kinds of tongues or divers kinds of tongues. Now, what are divers kinds of tongues? It is not your personal prayer language. It's not you praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up, tapping into the mysteries of God. That's not what it is. Divers kinds of tongues is a supernatural message in an unknown language. It is a message that's being proclaimed, not a message you pray. It is a message that is being proclaimed. And that message that is proclaimed is usually attached to the next utterance gift, the interpretation of tongues. What is interpretation of tongues? It's interpreting that message into a known language. And sometimes how diverse kinds of tongues interpretation works, it can flow through one individual. It flows through certain ministry gifts. You'll see it a lot in the ministry gifts of pastors and prophets where they'll, they'll have diverse kinds of tongues and tongues of interpretation operating on a regular basis in their ministry. But also when it comes concerns among the congregation, there are times where you'll see a member has a diverse kinds of tongue and the interpretation may come from the congregation over someone in the pulpit because God gives the gifts to the ones as he wills. Now, one of the things you'll see about the office of the pastor, you can also see it almost called like the office of the interpreter in these three chapters of Corinthians, that the shepherd is in charge of how the church experience, service, gathering, or meeting goes. And that's why there are times say, hey, there's a tongue, go ahead and give it. Now, I can sense a tongue, I accept on faith and give it, but there are times where God doesn't want me to give it because he's trying to build someone else up, trying to show someone else that he can use them. And so I say, hey, someone's got a tongue, go ahead and give it. Why? He's letting you, showing you how you can partner with the Holy Ghost. But prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues are part of the utterance gifts. 
and they're part of the utterance of God. There are things I say on a regular basis that came from an interpretation of tongues. Now, how many of you heard, heard me pray over you guys and bless May the favor of God go before you and prosper your way. You heard that. I remember in 2004, at a service at Word of Faith, that tongues interpretation came forward, and Bishop began to say by the Holy Ghost that you need to say on a regular basis, the favor of God goes before you and prospers your way. That came from an interpretation. I said, well, that's what the Holy Ghost says I need to say. I need to say that every day. So I say it. He'll give you instructions through the interpretation of stuff that you need to do. Sometimes it's just encouragement. Sometimes it's just building you up. Other times he's talking to you about some things that are going to happen. It's part of the utterance of God. And some of you are newer and may not know, just logged in online. We are a church that believes in the Word and the Holy Ghost. We believe in the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. We let the Holy Ghost move. He only moves online to his Word. Well, why? He wrote it. He's not going to contradict himself. And one of the things about the letters of the Corinthians, Paul's correcting a lot. But, you know, Paul could even give this correction to a lot of churches because they don't let the Holy Ghost move. You know, they had a, Corinth had a lot of issues. They had a lot. There's a reason why there's a first and second Corinthians. There's a lot of issues. Tons. It's not even a short, they're not even short letters. Thessalonians were short letters. Corinthians, it's a lot. He's correcting a lot. But at least they had some gifts to correct. Because they said, you guys are abounding in all these gifts. You're overflowing in it. So if you want to learn how to operate in gifts of the Spirit, you want to go to the church of Corinth. So he started with complimenting and said, man, you're abounding in all gifts, but now let me correct all this other drama. And then he goes for six chapters correcting them before he begins to answer their question. And then when he was talking about, he was talking about how people began to get off and some of the use of the gifts because they're saying the wrong things. Well, how did they begin to get off? Strife. Strife opened the door. That's, a number one reason, that's a number, one of the reasons why so many of the believers in Corinth were getting sick and dying early because of strife. In this Holy Ghost-filled, word-believing, healing church, they were dying early. And Paul wrote about that when he talked about communion. He said, you guys are so full of strife that when you receive, see, there are different ways to receive communion. The Bible doesn't say the exact way how you have to receive or how often. He says, as often as you do it, this is what you say and believe. And so how often you do it is usually up to the individual in the local church. And even how they receive it is even up to the individual. So whether you have the little packets or you have this giant cup, it's up to the individual in the church. And so what happened at the church at Corinth, they began to come together. They're supposed to come together and receive communion. But instead of coming together to receive communion and receive at the Lord's table and remember Jesus, they came to that table to show off because they were all bringing their food. And so they were showing off. Oh, you got Popeye's? My grandma made this chicken. She's been standing over that hot stove for days getting it ready. And you just brought Popeye's? They are showing off the food they brought. And he said, can't y'all eat at home? That's what was going on. And although they had utterance going forth, they weren't receiving the benefits of the utterance because of the strife, because of the kryptonite that was among them. They were losing all their supernatural power, although they had the gifts. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. You need the utterance of God. The utterance of God comes with tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy at times. You connect to the utterance of God, and you pray it out. Yes, you pray in your understanding, but you pray in the Spirit. 
One of the things about the utterance of God when it's delivered, Rick Renner said this way, so one of the times of greatest spiritual warfare is when the word goes forth. Because when the word goes forth, it cuts through the darkness. I'm aware that when I preach, this is going beyond here and, uh, and online, and it goes into the atmosphere, striking down principalities. I'm aware that happens. But also, the utterance also deals with your life. And if you come with certain lying spirits and harassing spirits, it's dealing with them. Especially if any of you in this room are watching online, and every time you hear the words, oh, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, and everything opposite is being said into your ear. That's not just you and your mentality. The enemy's trying to fight it. The enemy fights the word. Let's look at it, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he, Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now one of the things about Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, one of the things the scripture says they were friends of Jesus. Friends. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, had friends. He had family too. You say, oh, his family turned on him. Not all of them. If you study out, he had family members who supported his ministry the entire time. Yeah, he had brothers who, you know, they needed help. And after he was raised from the dead, they got it together. But you see a number of his family members supported him the whole time. But he also had friends. And the scripture also says Jesus knew what was in people's hearts. And he still had friends. If the Son of God has time to have friends, so do you. Well, you know, they're people. You as a people, too. <laughs> Jesus did life in community. He had the apostles and a number of people else around him, but he also had friends. And so he's going into this house of these people who would become, and maybe at this point are already his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And when Jesus showed up, it usually wasn't just him. He had the 12 apostles with him and a crew that we'll look at in a moment in Luke chapter 8. So they all show up at that house. And how many know if Jesus came to your house? Hopefully he gave advance notice. Because some of you wanted to be like specifically every, you know, those dust, not just the normal dust, but those baseboards can't have any dust on them. It's like those memes or the videos of people rushing to the house and running up to your room to see if the bed is made. You know, it was perfect if she had advance notice that Jesus was there. So Jesus and company shows up, and Martha, she has that serving gift. She wants to be hospitable. She's serving everybody. Oh, do you need something to drink? You need some food? She's just being hospitable. But her sister Mary sat at Jesus' feet to hear what he's saying. But Martha was distracted. Was what? Was what? With much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Now remember, Jesus is teaching, right? Jesus is preaching. He's giving a word. And Martha walks up, stands over Jesus, interrupts Jesus, and says, Jesus, I need you to tell my sister to get her tail up and help me. She was so distracted she distracted others. Do you notice when we read the story, we don't know what Jesus was teaching and preaching about? Why? Everybody was distracted. <laughs> Think about it. Luke was an investigator. He went and did interviews. That's how he composed his gospel. And so when he gets to this point in his gospel, he said, yeah, what did Jesus talk about? Well, I don't know, but that Martha, whoo, you should remember what Martha did. 
Man, Martha was going back and forth. She was pacing, interrupting everybody. And we don't know what Jesus said. Why? Distraction steals the word. She was so distracted, she distracted everybody else. And what did Jesus say about it? Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary had chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. What did Mary choose? The utterance of God. She chose the utterance, right? And she said, it won't be taken from her. Well, who's doing the taking, Jesus? No. What does Mark 4 teaches us? Satan comes for the word. He's a thief. He comes to steal the word. Martha, Satan stole the word from you, but he can't steal it from Mary. She was distracted, and all those good things Jesus was saying was stolen. But it wasn't stolen from Mary. Because Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, or as it says later in the gospel, she came to Jesus, heard from Jesus, and she positioned herself in such a way that what Jesus said to her could not be stolen. Now you might say, well, that means that no one can serve. No, 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 no. It's a distracted with much serving. She was distracted, and she was distracted while she was serving, and while she was serving, she distracted everybody else. But those who serve while the word goes forth get more. Well, how do I know that? Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Because Mark chapter 4, which I just referenced, we know Jesus is the most important parable. He says the key to all the other parables. And he gives his example and tells us that Satan comes for the word. That when the word is sown, that is when it's sown, that those who have unbelieving hearts who don't receive the word, Satan just comes on, scoops it up like the birds. But those who receive it on stony ground, which means the heart is not cultivated on the word of God, they haven't cleared stuff out, they receive it, they rejoice, they shout a little bit, they get immediate production because when they receive the word, they praise God and shout it. So that's a key to immediate production. When the word works for you quickly, shout about it. And that's what they did. They shouted about it. They received immediate production. But then it says affliction and persecution rose up like the scorching sun, and it scorched the production of the word. And because they had no root in themselves, they didn't lay a foundation. What they heard didn't produce anything else for them. Now their life looks like they never received the word in the first place. And then he says there's three others, cares or worries or distractions of the world, deceitfulness of riches. What is deceitfulness of riches? Lies about money. Or what are lies about money? It's not money. People say, oh, the money sold the word. No, lies about money. Oh, they became crazy once they got rich. No, they're already crazy. They were just too broke for you to notice. <laughs> Money's just an amplifier. What are some lies about money? That you believe money will meet all your needs. Money answers a lot of things, but there's some needs money can't do. But here's another lie about money, that money is evil. Well, the Bible says money is root of evil. No, it doesn't. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And that phrase in the Greek is translated extreme avarice. Not even just avarice or greed, extreme avarice. And avarice is already extreme greed. So doubly extreme greed is the root of all evil. And if you believe money is the root of all evil, you're deceived by riches. If you believe money will fix everything in your life, you're deceived by riches. So all deceitfulness of riches are lies that are connected to money. And the last one says lust of other things. What is that? Inordinate desires for things. Those three things, it says they crowd out the word like weeds. And so where you have production of the word in your life, but you have no fruit. Where the word is growing, it's obvious you receive the word, but you don't have the fruit of the word because of those weeds that you've allowed to grow in your heart. 
And so, do you know why we have that explanation? I just summed up what Jesus said in Mark 4. But that is not what Jesus said to the crowd. He got up to the crowd and says, a sower sows a seed. And says, he who has ears, let him hear, and walks away. Why do we have the explanation? Mark 4 says, and those who were with him, after he was done preaching, gathered around him and said, what in the world does that mean? Now, you would think, oh, those who are with him, oh, that's the apostle, that is Peter, that's James, that's John. But there's also more. Well, how do we know that? Luke 8, which is the parallel account of Mark 4, tells you the people who are with Jesus. Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with them, and, say and. Come on, say and. and. Certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom came out seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So one of the things that Mary and Joanna and Susanna were doing when they went with Jesus, they were giving testimonies. When Mary Magdalene would stand up and said, yes, when I found Jesus, I was possessed with seven different demons, but Jesus set me free. Joanna would testify, Jesus set me free. Susanna began to testify, Jesus set me free. And these, especially these three, were women of wealth, and so they were, Jesus had people who went around with them just to pay for stuff. And he had a treasurer. So you can't say Jesus was broke. You would have to ignore several scriptures to say Jesus broke. He said, well, the Bible says he became poor. We'll finish that scripture. He became poor so that we might be. So the question you have to ask, well, when did Jesus become poor? When? Because you can't say it was during his gospel ministry. You can't say when he was born, because when he was born, the Magi showed up. It took him a couple years to get to him. So you can't say then. He had a job before he went into ministry. And when you look at the word, he was good at his job. He was known for the work he did. He was highly skilled in it. So that when he went back to preach, he said, hey, isn't that the carpenter who built all the stuff in our house? So he had a job. He wasn't broke then. He wasn't broke when he went into ministry. If you have people traveling with you to pay for stuff and you got a treasurer, you know, you don't need a treasurer if you have three pennies. Because everybody knows what's there. And Judas was a tre the treasurer, and it says Judas in the Gospel of John was a thief. He would steal from Jesus' treasury. Come on, you know. If people steal from Jesus, they steal from anybody. And Judas would steal from Jesus' treasury on a regular basis. So how many know, if you have three pennies and someone takes one, you notice it's something different. We had three yesterday, now we only got two. And you know, people are watching the money, especially Matthew, the tax collector. You know he's watching that bag. So that means Jesus had more than enough. So the question is, when did he become poor? When? It wasn't here. Now, we could say when he was on that cross. Because when he went to the cross, remember, even his garment was so nice that they were betting for his clothes. You don't bet for scraps of clothes. You don't bet for hand-me-downs. Now, if it's a nice garment, you're like, I can get this blood out, and I, this, I, I can do this. That's me. So when did he became poor? The same time he became sin. 
It says, he never sinned, but was made sin so that we become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. It was the same time when he took upon all of our sicknesses and diseases. He wasn't sick, but sickness was put on him so that we might be healed. And at the same time, he was made poor so that we could be rich. He is our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice, meaning he took our place. If he paid for our sins, we don't have to pay for them. If he paid the price for us to be healed, we might as well be healed. If he made the door open so that we can prosper, we might as well prosper. And many others who provided for him of their substance. So is the apostles, those three women, and many others who traveled with Jesus. And then he also, you see other disciples who asked questions along the way. And so after Jesus was done talking to the crowd, he went to, they went around them and said, Jesus, tell us what that means. And Jesus said, it is given to you to know the mysteries of the gospel of the kingdom. To them, it's a parable. To you is the unfolding. Now, who was the you? The people who had surrounded Jesus, who had positioned themselves to hear from Jesus and partner with what Jesus was doing. All those 12, those three women, all those others, they were serving in some capacity, helping the mission that Jesus had come to pass. And so although they were in the meeting, they may be doing something while they're listening to the word, they got further revelation when the message was done. And so that's why people who serve here and they have to listen to the message later, especially for our wonderful teams in Kids World and the youth ministry, they'll get more from the message because they may have heard it a little bit during Sunday, but afterward when they begin to hear it again, they get more. Now, how many wants a key to get more from the utterance of God? Now, let me give you the example. We all were babies at one point, and someone had to help us eat. Before we even knew how to chew, someone had to put something soft on a spoon and put it in our mouth. Eventually, we had to learn how to chew. Anybody know, glad they know how to chew now? When it comes to the word, you just can't expect to be spoon-fed. You have to learn how to chew. So after the word is given, you can't say, oh, the word was good. No, no, you have to go home and chew on it. Well, how do I chew on it? You go over the scriptures again. You listen to it again. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You begin to meditate on the word of God. You study it out. You think upon it. You imagine it. You begin to say it. That is chewing of the word. If you want further revelation from the utterance you receive, you have to go and meditate on it. And as you meditate on it, you receive even more. So you can't just, you know, people start at all different levels. You just get saved. Hey, I'm glad we're here. We can spoon feed you. But for those who've been saved, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, you gotta chew. And so that's why people say, oh, I'm just not getting fed anymore. Or just did you just not chew? It's like you just want someone to chew it for you? It's kind of gross. You gotta chew. You gotta meditate. You gotta take notes. And then when you get home, look at those notes. Some of us are great note takers. Anybody got some really good note taking skills? Some of you got binders full of notes. But when's the last time you opened it and gone through it again? You have to meditate on the word. You have to chew the word and you receive more from God. Go to Luke chapter six. Let's begin to close here. Luke chapter six, verse 46. And see the utterance of God comes forth here 
but it also comes forth in kids' world. The teachers over there, the ministers over there, they're releasing the utterance of God to the young people. Our youth minister is releasing the utterance of God to the teenagers. It's the utterance they need. So what do you do? You make sure your kids are there. Oh, well, kids' world was full. We'll serve in kids' world so more kids can get in. Do you know why I'm not bothered if a kid cries in church? That's a sign of a healthy church. Because if you don't have any kids or any babies, it's a problem. We're making plans of what we do to expand because we're looking at in a couple months, kids' world could be full. Well, what do you do when kids' world's full? That is the subject of our meeting, so pray that we have wisdom and utterance. But that's a good sign. Because you know what also says in Isaiah? Don't you know a child will lead them? Do you know there are people in this church who their kids brought them? That for some reason they weren't listening to the voice of God, and so the child saw an advertisement, had fun in church, said, come on, mama, we're going to church. Come on, dad, we're going to church. And God was able to get the whole family because the child had fun in kids' world. And they're not just having fun over there. As I said, the utterance of God is going forward, and they're learning the oracles of God. They're learning the things of the Spirit. They're learning the principles of faith in the Word of God. And so we have to be people who position ourselves and our families to hear the utterance of God and meditate on throughout the week and listen to it again and again and again. One of the reasons why we have the app and we stream the daily podcast devotion on all the things we do is so that you can grow in the Word and always position yourself to receive the utterance of God. And so closing here in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, we see here the importance of Jesus said to come to him, to hear from him, and do what he says. So you can receive the utterance of God, but you got to do it. I said you got to do it. See, we'll talk about this on Wednesday night because I feel the shift that I need to do something else now. On Wednesday night, we'll talk about what you must do in 2023. Because you have to learn how to take the utterance of God, lay a foundation, and build your life. You're recreating your life, but now you have to learn how to build a wall around it. The enemy does come to steal, but if you put up a wall, you can't get through. You have to learn how to use your authority to stop him in his tracks when he tries to break through. We'll talk about that on our midweek experience at 730. We'll stream it to you because you must do that in 2023. But you must position yourself for utterance. The utterance of the word being preached and taught, the utterance of the spirit that comes with the utterance gifts. You must position yourself and receive from him. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encouraged you, inspired you. It's going to help you make Jesus famous in every area of your life. If you would like to support our ministry, I encourage you to go to our website at FCCGA.com and you'll see different ways you can give. You can also give by texting FCCGA to 73256. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can download our Faith Plus app. We have so many different ways for you to stay connected with us so you can grow in faith. Thank you once again for streaming this message. And no, you must have the utterance of God in 2023. So keep yourself positioned to receive it. And I'll share next time on how you can use that utterance to build your life. Music